Merry Christmas. Great to be with you all this uh, great and glorious day. What a great Christmas it is. Would you pray with me? Father, we bless you. And we thank you that, um, that we um, get to celebrate from this side of history uh, the greatest event that the world has ever known. We thank you, Father, that, um, that it was your zeal for your people to be in relationship with us that you uh, fulfilled your promise to bring forth a Messiah, to bring forth a Savior. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but you emptied yourself. And you emptied yourself to become human, to be born a baby from a virgin in Bethlehem, from the line of David. And we thank you, God, that we know the rest of the story. God, that we have been profoundly changed by this good news of great joy. So, God, I just pray that in this uh, short uh, time opening your word, God, that you would um, affect change in our lives, that we would be um, in wonder, in awe of the um, good news of great joy for all people. And God's people said, amen. So, um, we just have a short time together this morning, which is really hard for me. Um, I'll do my best to get us out here, out of here in time. Um, and kids, it's just um, especially great to have um, you young ones in here with us. So hopefully you've got um, coloring books and you've got candy canes. And if you cry and yell and squirm, that's awesome. I love it. The louder and the more, the merrier. My hope this morning that if you know Jesus Christ, that you would be reminded um, in a new and fresh way of the good news of great joy that came on that Christmas morning. And that good news and great joy has a name, and his name is Jesus. And if you're here this morning and don't know Jesus, um, you know about Jesus, but you don't have an intimate relationship with him. I pray that today would be the day. I pray that you would surrender um, your efforts and your good works and that you would embrace the good news of great joy for you and for all people. It was January 22nd, 1984. Does anybody know what was significant about that date? Anybody? I didn't either. It was the 18th Super Bowl. And two teams that I could care less about, especially one that I wish was not even in existence, the great Oakland Raiders demolished Jim Plunkett of the Oakland Raiders. Actually, it was the L.A. Raiders at the time. Demolished Joe Theismann and the Washington Redskins. But that wasn't the big story of Super Bowl 18 on January 22nd. 1984. The most memorable part of that Super Bowl was like most Super Bowls, was the commercial. Not commercials, but commercial. In the third quarter of that game that ended up being a blowout, I think it was 38 to 7, something like that, Apple aired a blockbuster advertisement promoting the release of the first 
Macintosh computer. Does it, did, are any of their computers called Macintosh now? Or are they just Macs? It was the first Macintosh computer. And at that time, nobody had heard of Mac. And certainly, nobody had dreamt of the iPod, iPad or iPhone. This commercial was simply titled 1984. And if you remember the commercial at all, there was, about, there was hundreds of skinheads that were watching a projection on a big screen. And there was a big brother figure that was extolling the virtues of censorship. Then suddenly, a blonde heroine runs defiantly towards the front of the room. And this athletic woman was spinning around a big sledgehammer. And she finally let it go, and it shattered the screen. Symbolically, she was liberating everyone from the conformity of technology groupthink. In 1984, IBM, yes, IBM, was the king of computing. Is there anybody under 18 that has ever heard of IBM? They're still in Boulder, last time I checked. I don't know what they do. I think they merged with Celestial Seasonings and they're doing some kind of high-tech tea. I'm not sure. <laughs> Apple wanted to change this reign of IBM. And they released a one-of-a-kind computer to try and take down this tyrannical, power-hungry tech company. In a sense, Apple was offering the good news that rescue was coming and to save us from this dark world and influence of IBM. At the end of this commercial, it had a phrase on it. It had a phrase. It had a birth announcement, if you will, that would change the world as we know it. And it said this. It said, on January 24th, two days after this commercial, on January 24th, Apple Computer will introduce Macintosh. And then it says, and you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. And that was referring to George Orwell's 1984. The Macintosh slogan was, think different. And my encouragement to you today is to think different. Think different about the baby in the manger. Yes, we sing happy birthday to Jesus, but he's not just a cute baby in a manger. He's actually God in a manger. The Apple revolution may be the greatest rags-to-riches story ever to happen in corporate America. And if you know Steve Jobs at all, Steve was the founder of Apple. I don't believe he died a believer. But whether or not you're a fan of his or not, you've got to give him credit. He was a master showman who could mark a moment in time in the most memorable of ways. If there was something new happening at Apple, Jobs knew exactly how to make it special. He would grab global attention on the biggest stage we had, the Super Bowl, and excite excitement around any product launch. Well, some, some 700 years before the first Christmas, there was an announcement. It was a reveal party of sorts. It's where the prophet Isaiah said that there would be a Messiah coming that would be born of a virgin, and that this Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Now, mind you, this is some 700 years before the first Christmas. 
This was an announcement that a king was coming to rescue God's people from oppression, from injustice, from unrighteousness, and from bondage to their foreign governments. For generations, people had yearned for this salvation. And the world groaned for redemption from the effects of sin, from the effects of poverty and war and suffering and death. Around this time, during this reveal party, the prophet Isaiah brought forth a blockbuster promise. In church family, you know what it is. We've been, we've been studying it the last four weeks. It's from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 or 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And this last sentence in verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 9 says this, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it or will accomplish it. There was nothing that would stop God, the triune God from eternity past to bring forth a savior and a messiah to be in a right relationship with you and I. And that's what Christmas morning is all about. So fast forward to day one AD, the first Christmas. We see in Luke 2 the first announcement of the birth of the eternal Son of God. Before it was a reveal party, now is the birth announcement. He's arrived. What had been foretold and waited upon for generation upon generation was here. This was the first Christmas. So what kind of jaw-dropping, show-stopping, once-in-a-lifetime promotional event did God arrange for the royal birth? Listen, Luke 2, 8 and 9, it's underwhelming. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. This is the region of Bethlehem where Jesus was born. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. This long announcement was made known to a few shepherds. The stage was a field with a few sheep. It was not prime time. It was in the middle of the night. It was the epitome of anticlimactic. This extraordinary news, uh, that's an understatement of the year, was missed by the masses, but was pronounced to ordinary people, ordinary shepherds. John brought it out. It's actually not just ordinary people and ordinary shepherds. They were the outcasts of society. That's what makes this announcement beautiful. God didn't aim his good news at the most educated or the most powerful or the noble or the elite or the best networkers. History's most profound newsflash wasn't announced from a palace balcony. It didn't come with an entourage. This historic, world-changing news was announced in the dark of night to men, ordinary men, who were unprepared. They were unsuspecting. 
And quite frankly, like you and I, they were unworthy. The good news was not just for the shepherds who were keeping watch over the flock by night, but for all people walking in darkness. This wasn't good news for all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. It wasn't good news for those who were self-sufficient and having it all together. This is good news of great joy for faithless, for the joyless, for the defeated, for the broken, for the depressed. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, it goes on to say, Then the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news of great joy. How do you know good news? You've got to know the bad news. The good news of healed, the good news of uh, no more cancer, the good news of, of uh, a baby's um, heartbeat when it comes out of mom when it was a hard delivery, um, it's good news when you understand first the bad news. So what was this good news for the shepherds and for all people? What was this good news for you and I? The creator of the universe was fulfilling his promise to redeem a people for himself. Not a faithful people, but a faithless people. The bad news is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We needed redemption. You see, humanity from the very beginning was trying to um, earn our way to God, to build a ladder to heaven trying to do it on our own strength and effort. That's more bad news because we can't do it. Some of the best people I know are without faith in Jesus Christ. The best people I know. But all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, Jesus wouldn't have had to come if we could be good enough. The good news is that God is a promise keeper and he created you and I to be his neighbor, quite frankly. For him to, um, to condescend and to be with us. He emptied himself of all the riches of his divine glory and dignity and he moved into our poor neighborhood so that we could be rich. He took on flesh and entered our mess to rescue us in our utter helplessness. And this wasn't just any birth announcement. It wasn't just good news for Mary and Joseph. It was good news for all people of all time. And the angel of the Lord didn't just announce good news, but good news of great joy. And are you experiencing that great joy this morning? This afternoon, this evening. You know, if somebody's keeping track, if you had like a little clicker, it'd be like, it'd be like 46. And I've only been here for like two hours. But you have sympathy for me, right? Most of the time I'm up here, it's on a Sunday morning. He's just old. Kids, don't pay any attention to him. Don't make eye contact with him. 
The eternal God took on flesh to save you and I from a hopeless, joyless eternity. And this good news of great joy is available for all people who put their faith and trust in Him for the forgiveness of their sins. All who by faith embrace Jesus Christ as Savior will have great joy. Not, not steady joy. I don't wake up every day with joy. But they will have great joy in spite of trials, in spite of pain, in the midst of suffering. I like Costco. Anybody else go to Costco? I feel bad for Sam's, actually. Every time I go into Sam's, it's like a ghost, it's like a ghost town. I guess. But when I go to Costco, I've tried going there between 11.30 and 1 to eat lunch when all the samples are out, but they're smarter than that. That's not when they put their samples out. They put it out mid-afternoon when you're full. But I usually starve myself through lunch, and I go there about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And it's like a smorgasbord. It's a buffet. You just go from one to the next. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm eating. I haven't finished chewing with the, when I put the other thing in my mouth. But Costco... Sampling at Costco, walking by the kiosk, and the attendant says, as I smile with joy and say, mmm, that's good, you know what the attendant says? There's more where that came from. And right behind her or him is a stack of whatever it was that I just tasted. And the good news of great joy is that there's more where that came from. That we experience this good news of great joy when we put our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. But there is ongoing joy the more that we taste and see that Jesus is good. The more that we see and taste that he's good even in the midst of storms. As I'm at that metaphorical um, kiosk in Costco, and I taste it, and there's joy, and she tells me that there's more where that came from, you know what I think? I think, I'm going to get me some more, and what I do is I take my place next to her, and I want to give this good news of great joy to everybody else that walks by, because I want them, and I want you, and I want us to experience this. And I mean experience it, not just in an intellectual way, but in a tasting kind of way to know that he's good. Because this good news of great joy is for me and it's for you and it's for all people throughout all time. Back to Luke chapter 2 and we're going to finish off here in just a couple of minutes. I can go all day. And this will be a sign for you, the angel said to the shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to the God in the highest and on earth peace, those with whom he is pleased. I were honest with you, I would say I don't have that joy and peace every day. But when it's lacking, I turn and I taste and I see that he's good. And that joy and that peace and that hope wells up in me, being reminded that this baby that was in a manger lived the perfect life that I couldn't live. And he died the death that I deserved to die. And he rose victoriously again from the grave. And he now sits at the right hand of the Father. And he is continually advocating 
for you and me. And he will see us all the way home. That there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And after this angelic announcement uh, and saying glory to God in the highest and peace uh, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased, I want you to take a look at Luke chapter 2, verse 16. Don't miss this. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Literally, they ran with an earnest desire to encounter God in the flesh. And that's not just for you who does not know Jesus, it is for you. And if you are still trying to climb that ladder, trying to be good enough to exert your own efforts to to grab a hold of God, um, it's futile. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Run to him, hasten to him. And for you and I who, are, who know Jesus Christ, that's a daily call to run to him, to taste and see that he is good. And in verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The zeal of the Lord accomplished this. The zeal of the Lord who hung the stars. The zeal of the Lord that hold the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand. The zeal of the Lord brought forth Jesus in that manger so that you might not just hear the good news of great joy, but that you might know intimately the good news of great joy. Amen? We're going to sing, and we're going to light candles, and it's going to be dangerous. Um, Can I borrow one of those candles? Thank you. And if I, usually, it's, uh, four years and under shouldn't have a candle, and then teenage boys between 14 and 18 shouldn't have a candle. <laughs> so I don't know if, that's, if, if that qualifies. Um, so, so we're going we're gonna to light um, candles, and let me just give you a little bit of a reason why we do this. Um, it's certainly tradition. But all throughout Scripture, it says that humanity was walking in darkness, And that's a picture of our condition, that every human being was dead in their sins and trespasses. We had no hope. And the hope was that God would become man and shine his light into the darkness of our hearts, and that we would forever be able to walk in that light. So as as we um, light these candles, be reminded that you were once in darkness, and now you are forever in his light. Amen? Um, As we light these... uh, these candles, um, if your candle is unlit, grab that candle right there. 